that man, it says, that man, Job, was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, I want to jump to the meat of what I'm getting at here this morning. So we're, we're going to go on down to verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? How about him? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. So says Satan in this brief passage. Normally now, under normal circumstances, under usual circumstances, a sermon coming out of Job. You know what it's going to be about. It's going to be all about endurance and suffering. Yes? Suffering. I mean, Job is not the easiest, most pleasant book to read through. But, not this sermon. That's a valuable lesson, but we're just sort of getting at something else today. Today I want to talk about the false accuser, a.k.a. the slanderer, the great slanderer. Job, going way back, see, the accuser of the brethren. How old is he? Revelation? Oh, he predates Revelation. Oh, he predates all of it. Going back to these earliest times, sort of mysterious. Here's this man, Job. There's no, not, a whole lot of, uh, not a whole lot has been revealed about this terrible figure. Not a lot has been worked out by this time. Job would not have read anything about this. Even if he could, and even if he could know, maybe whatever he knew, we don't, we just know that he's a righteous man, that he fears God. And, by the way, is it an encouragement to you at all that somebody out in the middle of nowhere living in an ancient time period without otherwise fanfare that he happens to be a righteous man that God knows this in other words that you know somebody who doesn't get any accolades uh, who doesn't get any credit and who never uh, you know his his good deeds don't get hailed by people that nevertheless God knows you know you, if you go uh, you go overseas you it surprises people when they meet the believers overseas, the people who, that is, the Christians who are native to other places, as well as mission workers who are there too. It, it, it amazes people the quality and just the things they accomplish and what they what they endure and just the sterling character of these people. And you think, I would never have known this. I would never have known such people existed. You know, they're not going to be talked about by anybody on this side of things. We're not going to know who they were. We're probably going to, you know. Well, for a lot of people, we're sort of going to quibble about a bunch of lesser important things in our churches while they're out there doing that. But God knows everything, every good thing, everything done right, everything done on His behalf, 
all who fear God. He knows them. They do have full credit where it counts. He knows them. He knows what they do. He knows who they are. That's good. So, so here's Job. And he is known. Enough to get bragged about. But here comes this figure. I mean, all, you know, by, by this time, even, even, in, even in Genesis, I mean, what do we know? What do you know about this, this figure? He's been, he was the serpent. And, uh, there's not, and he's sort of present. Unspoken, you know. Evil vibe kind of in all creation. Now he's there. He's sort of in the background. But, but there's not a great theology that's sort of been articulated about Satan. But here he is, this, this person, Satan, who shows up in the beginning and in this ancient land. Yahweh sees him, sees Job, and then here comes Satan. In the Hebrew, Satan is a Hebrew word, you know. That's where it came from. It's a Hebrew word, and it means adversary or opponent. And this is his role. He is against. He's against God. He's against the created order, and he is against you. He is against all that God made, and particularly the crown of creation. He diametrically opposed to human beings, to all of mankind. He hates us. And when you think of Satan, you know, I mean, what comes to your mind really when you think of Satan? You think, oh, that, that's what you were just talking about. That hatred. Yeah, he's bad. He's the villain, and he's evil. And, you know, he's a liar, and he destroys things. He comes to steal, kill, destroy. Yes, we know this. And all of this is true. All of this is true. And, and also that he's a tempter, that he comes to tempt. And this is, even, this is what he did even with Jesus, right? Gets him alone out in the middle of nowhere. And, and he commences this process of temptation. So we know he does that. Yeah, that's what he is. He's a bad guy. He steals. He destroys things. He wrecks people's lives. He lies. He tells you a bunch of lies. And he, uh, and he tears things up and he just makes a mess of it all. That's who he is. All true. But there is this central kind of thing about him. There's this fundamental thing about his nature. Fundamental to who this person is. <coughs> and it's right here in this book. It's right here in this account. And that is that he is an accuser. He's an accuser. And he's not just any accuser. He's not a just accuser. Because some accusations are just, right? Sometimes people make an accusation, and it is true. He doesn't care if it's true. That's not his point. He is an accuser. He is a, he is a false accuser. Now, he's happy to hurl true allegations against everybody, too. So will he use your actual real sins against you? Of course he will. That's easy money. But it's quite incidental to him whether they're really true or not. That, that may be a perk. may help drive it home more deeply if it happens to be true. But he'll go ahead and accuse you anyway. He, he will use false accusations. And here he is showing up, and what basis does he have to make this accusation against Job, the righteous man? Where does he get off, right? What, what evidence does he have that, you know, Job, deep down, he's actually not a very good guy? 
He just likes being rich. And he's been blessed. And I mean, if he didn't have all that stuff, suddenly instead of being a great man and a righteous man and a God-fearing man, I mean, he would. This is what he's. This is his accusation. He would immediately become a terrible person, and he would hate God. That's the accusation. Well, what basis does he have for that? It doesn't matter. He doesn't care. He just wants. He just wants to make this kind of trouble because it's fundamental to his nature to do this kind of thing. When you read, when you read the books that are in the New Testament, and you see mention of the devil in your translations, right? The devil, the devil this, the devil that, the devil appears. This is the same person. Uh, the word that you're looking at, when you see that, everywhere you see the word devil. I mean, devil comes from like uh, that word, the, the literal word devil is some old English. But what you're looking at in the text, that they when they wrote it, you're looking at a Greek word that is diabolos. Diabolos. There it is. The adjective diabolical comes directly from it. Every time you see the word the devil, this is the word that is used. Diabolos. And it's and it's quite literal meaning. Well, it's most literal meaning has to do with throwing something. I mean, but it's it's next to most literal meaning. What it what it was meant to suggest is what the lexicons tell us down there, which is a slanderer, a false accuser, or my favorite of the three words, a calumniator. Now, when's the last time you got fed up with somebody? And you call them a no-good, low-down, rotten, stinking calumniator. And if you ever were called that, were you offended? Or how could you be? Because you have no idea what they're talking about. You can never really be offended when you have no idea. You ever been called a name and you're like, I guess I'm supposed to be mad, but I don't know what that means. I'll reserve judgment of how offended to be until I understand what that's supposed to mean. For all I know, it means you're a swell guy. So if, you know, if anybody ever calls you something and you don't know what it is, just say, well, thank you very much. And just go ahead and take it as a compliment. I mean, you may as well. This is really not a compliment. So that's old English nobody uses. If you read some old stuff, and I would recommend once in a while that you should read some old stuff, but that's a different sermon. You should, we should all read some old I mean, besides the Bible, <laughs> even other books that are old, you should read. If you ever read some old books... You'll see the word calumny, 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 you and it's, it looks funny because they got the M before the N, and we don't have a lot of words like that, but you know, that's old Latin French, it's just, you know, it just means, ta-da, a slanderer, that's all, calumny is, is false accusation against people, Shakespeare uses it, but you know, he had a lot bigger vocab than we do, well, this is what the word means. So you should think that because in English the word devil, let's just be honest, I mean, it's taken on some, it's taken on some silliness, hasn't it? I mean, the word devil, yeah, yeah. Ooh, the devil. You Christians and your devil. Ooh, look out for the devil. It's become, uh, we've, I don't know, we've made it, we've made it sound foolish. Other people have made it sound foolish, and so if you go to the outside world talking about the devil. They might hear it as silly. 
because sort of the training of the mind to just think, oh, devil, uh, it's been cartoonized, right? To be little, the little guy with the fork tongue and the pitch fork in the hand and the little devil horns. And, you know, I used to eat, I used to eat that ham and he was on the cover of it and all this. And, uh, you know, I, uh, my vacuum cleaner was never, you know, he, he sells products. He's a mascot. I mean, come on, what do you, you know? Uh, but but if you think in New Testament terms, you will think about the diabolical one, this false accuser. That's that's what it means. Now, of course, it in, it entails all that other stuff too that we're told about him. That he steal, he robs you blind, and he destroys things. But it's fascinating to see that central to his name, central to the term, is this because so it is it is a characteristic built into the word that describes him. And let me ask you, what do you think that says? about the practice of doing that. What does that say about the practice of accusing people falsely? You want to know how important it is, how important a moral command it is that we not do that, that we not lie about people? Well, it made it into the top ten, in case you forgot. It made it onto the tablets. The ninth one reads... Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor in the King James. Exodus 20, chapter uh, chapter 20, verse 16. So it's one of the biggies. It's right in there with you can't be stealing and killing people. And you can't do this either. Don't do this, he told Israel. It matters. When you do this, you're doing something quite devilish. Literally, you're being diabolical. In 1 Timothy, you know that in all the pastoral letters, in fact, I say all the pastoral letters, those are the ones where Paul wrote letters to pastoral leaders instead of to the whole church. It's addressed to the person. He wrote two of those to Timothy, and he wrote one of those to Titus. And in all three of those, in giving instructions about the church, And what should characterize the church? In all three of those, Paul says something very similar when he says, for example, in 1 Timothy 3.11, he's talking about the leaders, church leaders, and he says, their wives likewise should be dignified and not slanderers, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. Can you guess the word that he uses there? Ding, ding, ding. Diabolos in the plural. They shouldn't be you could so a translator might say they shouldn't be devils, but that would that would give people a weird impression. He means slanderers. The NASB I think says malicious gossips. In 2 Timothy, the next letter, 3 1, it says, Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be, you've heard this, right? Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud. Arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, and ungrateful and unholy and heartless and unappeasable and slanderous. Anybody want to guess what adjective that is? It's the same word again. And once more then, he says the same thing in Titus 2, 3. Same basic. Basically the same thing. Three times where you have the word used not to describe Satan, but to describe 
people who would act this way. In a weird way, it just shows the nature of how evil it is to practice that, how we cannot and should not do that. It is quite literally of the devil to do that. It is diabolos. And we think of, uh, you know, we think of somebody doing something satanic as involving, I don't know, sacrificing a goat in their basement in a dark room, you know, with the satanic Bible open on a weird looking altar and some candles and the Marilyn Manson music playing in the background or however you picture it. Uh, growing their nails out long and, you know, I don't know. That's what we sometimes think, oh, satanic. That's what that's what it would mean to be satanic. That's kind of window dressing. In a, in a sense, to be a slanderer of people, to tell lies about people, is a very is quite literally a devilish thing to do. It's a it is literally diabolical in the sense the Greek sense of the word. It's a satanic thing to do. Jesus told his opponents, You are like your father. The devil. Well, how? He didn't mean genetically, of course. What did he mean? How were they sons of Satan in this metaphorical sense? Because they did the kind of things to people that he does to people. They were, they were being like the great slanderer himself. And they were doing things that, that the diabolical one was probably applauding them for. Good job. You guys are doing it right. Jesus had no sin at all, but did he get slandered? Yes. So if he can receive it, then so will you receive it. So this is the application of this today. This is how we apply it. We can apply this, I think, in two ways. This focus. This is kind of a it's a one-point sermon, really, about about recognizing the accuser of the brethren, the great slanderer. But, but, but there are a couple of different ways to apply it. One more vertical and one more horizontal. The vertical way this applies to you. You, the Christian, struggling your way through, trying to live the Christian life, trying to grow spiritually, trying to do what's right. And yet, so many things can trip you up and hold you back and cause you to stumble. One of those things is the accusations. The same guy who's tempting you is also got his finger pointed at you the whole time. I don't know if how, how many of us, how the different degrees to which we would struggle with it, but I, I think I'm on fairly safe ground if I say that just about every single believer struggles with this and has to fight this one. And that is the accuser is bringing, is bringing his worst accusations at every moment of your life of every bad thing you ever did and the ones you didn't do but wanted to do and the ones you could be capable of there but for the grace of God and a bunch of stuff you never did. He's bringing all that. He's got a case file on you. And he's, and he's just unloading it at all times against you, in your, whispering it to you. And this is why you feel rotten and this holds people back because, look, even if the, the degree to which he knows that, that the believer is innocent, has been declared righteous. Because while you have in the courtroom, while you have this vile, unethical prosecutor who wants to get you, you also have an advocate. 
You have an advocate in the courtroom. Whoever lives to make intercession for you. And he is your defender. And he says, no, innocent. Because this particular advocate, it's not as if he's saying that you in and of yourself, you are innocent. Because as Jeremy said earlier, the verdict against us is a big, clear guilty. That is, you stand alone. If you decide to represent yourself in the courtroom, you will lose. Do not try to be your own advocate before the court of God. Because then you're on your own merits. But you have an advocate, and he's paid the penalty. The penalty was capital punishment. And he's paid the penalty. But And if the accuser, even though he knows it, he figures he can still make you ineffective. He can still bring you down. He can still do this to you. Because if you feel guilty all the time, you can't be used. You can't be useful. You can't be productive. You can't... He's going to just hamper your life in every possible way. Imagine if, imagine if you were declared innocent in the courtroom. You ever notice... One of the wildest things about the court system, ours, is you can have somebody guilty or, or no, you can have somebody charged with the most heinous, despicable, and high-profile crime. It can be a crime of the century. It can have wall-to-wall media coverage, and it can go on for months and months, and it can be in the headline of every paper, and everybody knows the name of this person who's on trial, and it can be a huge ordeal, but if the person, after the jury comes back, if the person is declared exonerated, just like that, they can just walk out and go home and do it. They're just immediately free. It's, it's almost weird how that works. It's like, after all this, all right, you can go. In Christ, you are completely and instantaneously just set free. The bailiff just has to take the shackles off, and it's, it's over. But imagine if the prosecutor just followed you right on out of the courtroom and followed you home and followed you to work and followed you to school and followed you everywhere and just continually was just never letting it die, just bringing the case against you at every moment. You're still guilty. You know you're still guilty. Yeah, you're no good. I know what you've done. You know what you've done. You know what you're really like. You know what you really. You know who, how bad you could be. You probably would be. You know if, uh, you know, you're no better than. I mean, just always, incessantly. So one of the applications of of what we understand about our enemy, and and set against that the glorious truth of what the the hymn we sang, the glorious freedom that we have, is that you don't have to listen to that. Yeah, he's going to follow you to your grave. But you don't have to listen. You you can sort of make... It's your decision to some extent which voice you will hear because your advocate is there too. And if you will give him the microphone by staying in the truth of the word and through the spiritual disciplines, we silence that the no good voice of the false accuser who slanders us at every turn. And we, we maximize the voice and we choose only to hear the voice of the, of the truly just advocate and judge and would-be executioner 
Who says to you, you're not guilty? In and of yourself, you would be. But in Christ, you are not. And that doesn't have to hold you back. Well, the other application then is between people, between us. And that's the application Paul makes in those letters to the churches. To say, do not do this. And this is why Moses had this on the tablet. Don't Israel couldn't afford to, to have this going on. They couldn't, be, they couldn't be the people of God in the world and fulfill anything like the mission they were supposed to have if characteristic among them was that they're all just backbiting each other with accusing each other of things all the time. Neither can the church be effective if that's happening. This is, this is what people are prone to. And, and if, if there's no guideline on us, if, if, we, if as a matter of moral discipline people just don't decide that's wrong and refuse to do it, then they left to ourselves. We just will do it. In fact, today it's really become one of the leading hobbies of people. And, and you know, the way that the world has changed with social media has sort of, in some ways it's only magnified what was already true about us. It just sort of made what we're like, it just it just enlarged it. It's like it's like um, you know when that when when they say when you took the uh, uh, when you took when they gave the uh, the uh, Captain America serum. They said you know the old German guy says this will just magnify who you're. It'll make whatever your natural attributes are. It'll only make them. It'll magnify them. And social media has just sort of shown us what the what we're what we really can be like at our worst. And it's made slander, malicious gossip, and false accusation uh, a pastime that for some reason people just enjoy. And it's diabolical to get pleasure, almost like an addiction, to get pleasure from every day seeing who will suffer today. Who can we pile on today? Who can we ruin today? And we're sort of like Romans in the, in the arena. In a weird way, we're enjoying watching this spectacle. Well, as somebody gets tarred, feathered, railroaded, and everyday careers are just ruined. Every day they just drop like flies because of accusations. And do they need to be true? Of course not. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter what's true. This is is a highly slanderous culture that we live in. But the church can't do it. The church can't do it. Christians have to refuse this. As much as possible, you have to say, I will withhold judgment unless I know. And if I know something is true about someone, then I will simply state what is the fact. But I'm, I'm also not going to just pile in. I'm not going to grab a torch and, and join the mob. And so that is an application to the church. As old as the, as old as the tablets and, and stretching all the way through, all the way to the early church. And it's the same principle, and it, it is true even today, that you and I, we, we cannot be like the diabolos. We cannot be diabolical in the sense that we become accusers of people. Again, sometimes you simply state what is true. Jesus made some true accusations because he could make no false ones. So... Where something is the case, you must say what is true, involving even yourself. 
So we're not in the game of denying the things that we have done. No, part of your story, part of your witness in life is you did some bad stuff. You don't have to lie about that. You don't have to say, I've never done anything wrong. That's for other sinners to do. No, you don't have to do that. But you see, it's an incomplete picture without without the most important part of the story, which is, and I'm innocent. You think that somebody who stood trial for a terrible thing, but it was found, was found to be innocent? You think some people still don't follow them around and go, well, I think you're probably guilty. To me, you're still, to me, to me you'll always be guilty of that. Well, okay. <laughs> but I ain't. Because <laughs> here I am, a free man. And here you are. You were free. You, walk, you walked out of the courtroom free. You claim that. You know that. And then you live accordingly. How could we, people who have been freed from 10,000 false accusations, then turn around like the ungrateful servant and start hurling false accusations against everybody that gets on our nerves or that we just don't like how they think? Just because somebody doesn't, doesn't share your views about things doesn't mean that you know, one of the handy ways I can get them, you know. We're a non-violent society. People don't, people don't just go into the parking lots and duke it out like they probably used to. I'm not so sure that wouldn't solve things better. Just fight it out and get done with it. And then be friends again. You know? Instead of spending the next 30 years gossiping about each other. And some, you know, this is a practice that sometimes some people don't outgrow. Mm, do they? We could easily say, well, that's just what those kids do. Those kids on their social media just always doing this to each other. Yeah, but there's some older folks that can do it too. You know, I heard that she, I, 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 I just believe that this is how it is. I think he's one of those types of, you know. And so may God spare us from that.